And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. We welcome you to this morning's broadcast. We are so glad you could join us. Today, Pastor Elliot teaches on the three verb tenses of our salvation. There is a sense in which our salvation, which is found in the Lord Jesus Christ, involves something good in the past time and something good in the present time and also something good in the future. And now with his message for today, Pastor Robert Elliott. Yes, this house, this salvation built upon the righteous foundation of Jesus Christ, his righteousness. That's why we must stay true, brothers and sisters, in this assembly and all the branches of this assembly into the community and all the branches out of this assembly to our mission fields, to our missionaries. What a wonderful address this morning from our dear brother. We must be sure that within the ministries of this local church and by extension through the extension of our prayers and our love and our giving, financial giving, that the gospel is the main thing, that Jesus Christ is the door into the house and everybody knows it, and that the foundation of the house is the righteousness of God being revealed in that salvation. And so I want to unpack further this rich concept. God's salvation of a person has three tenses grammatically. A person is saved, that's past tense. A person is saved from the penalties of sin. But there's more to God's salvation. It's not just a past tense blessing of being saved from the penalties of sin, but there's also being saved in the present, the constant present of walking with God. And the person who is saved in the present has the benefit of being saved from the power of sin and from the pleasure of sin. We do not have to sin. Sometimes we do. We do not have to take pleasure in sin. Sometimes we do. But God's salvation of the person who believes in his son is a past tense blessing. The person is saved from the penalties of sin. It's a present tense blessing. The person is saved from the power of sin and from the pleasure of sin. But ah, there's a future dimension to our salvation in Christ. The person who is saved will be saved. Future tense. One day, the believing person will be saved from the presence of sin. This is the full orbed, the full complete picture of this magnificent salvation, the house that's built on the foundation of God's righteousness that has one door into it, the Lord Jesus Christ, person and work, that has the gospel written all over it. This wonderful salvation has a past tense. We're delivered from the penalties of our sin, a present tense. We're delivered from the pleasures and the power of sin and has a future tense that we will be one day. Save from the presence of sin. No sin in heaven. None. Aren't we looking forward to that? This, my friends, is the salvation full and free to us, but cost the Godhead everything. The salvation that God so graciously gives through his son's person and his son's work. What a magnificent, big house. God used the Roman Catholic monk Martin Luther to set into place the Protestant Reformation. And it was 
Romans 1, verse 17, which was the key to the Roman Catholic monk Martin Luther's conversion. I'll read it. Verse 17. For in it, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Listen to Luther's own assessment of when that verse was brought to bear in his heart and in his mind by the Holy Spirit. I quote, When by the Spirit of God I understood these words, the just shall live by faith, I felt born again like a new man. I entered through the open doors into the very paradise of God, end quote. Oh, yes. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Sticking with Martin Luther, he wrote this in his book, The Theology of Martin Luther. Quote, I believe... Therefore, I speak, end of quote. I hope that I can say the same. I hope that each of you can say the same. I believe, therefore, I speak. In this gospel house, salvation house, which is big enough for more people than are presently in it, God's family will never outgrow this church, will never outgrow this house. There's room. The next key passage that I want to take us to, the second of two, is chapter 3, verses 21 to 25. And Romans 3, 21 to 25, fits hand in glove with chapter 1, 16 and 17, the verses we've been expounding. While we're still talking about the righteousness of God, the foundation of the house of salvation, we're still talking about Jesus Christ, of course, the door, the only door into this house of salvation. What is additional, needful information is that one, salvation is totally apart from law keeping. Two, salvation was foretold by the law and the Old Testament prophets. Three, all have sinned, falling short of God's perfection. Four, Grace justifies. Five, justification necessitates redemption. And sixth and last, justification demanded propitiation. Let me say that again. Additionally and needfully, according to Romans 3, 21 to 25, six things. Salvation is apart from law-keeping. Salvation was foretold by the law and the Old Testament prophets. All have sinned, falling short of God's perfection. Grace justifies. Uh, justification necessitates redemption. And six, justification demanded propitiation. Let me expand these a little bit. There are four rich theological terms here. I want to take them one by one. First, the glory of God. I want you to see that in verse 23 of Romans 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What is the glory of God? The glory of God is his intrinsic, eternal perfections. Intrinsic means that God's perfections belong only to him. Intrinsic. Eternal means that God's perfections have no beginning and no ending. 
You can't find a time when God's perfections began. Nor can you or will you find a time when God's perfections will end. God's perfections are eternal. God's perfections are intrinsic. They're his. God's intrinsic, eternal perfections is his glory. Is his glory. Perfections. God's attributes, his character qualities, his plan, his will, his decree. These are all parts of God's perfections that he has had forever, that he will have forever, that belong purely to him as God. And so a key term we first have to look at in verses 21 to 25 of Romans 3 is the glory of God, his eternal, intrinsic perfections. The second term is justified or justification. Pick it up with me at verse 21. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified, there it is, being justified as a gift by his grace to the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. And I'll stop there. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning, this is Pastor Nicholas. And today we want to continue as we talk to the story of Ruth and Naomi. And we've been talking about through the fire, and we talk about how relationships and, and friendships can, you know, when we go through the fire, they can either break or they can bring healing. They can help us. And as I, you know, shared the last time, I talked about how Naomi has tried to send, you know, she's lost everything. She's lost her husband. She's lost her two sons. Um, she's basically told her two daughters-in-law, you know, you can go, go back. It doesn't make no sense. You stay with me. You can remarry. You, you know, you have your whole life ahead of you. Why are you wasting your time to be here with me? And we see that Opper, one of the, the daughters-in-law, she goes back. But we see Ruth. And Ruth is sticking by it. And just to pick it up, Ruth chapter 1, verse 15, it says that Naomi said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Follow your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, Don't plead with me to abandon you, or to return, or, or not to follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me, and do so severely if anything but death separates you from me. As we see here, we see Ruth is saying, look, there's nothing that's going to separate this friendship. The only thing that's going to separate is if one of us pass away. Because I want to be there for you. I want to be there through this tough time. I want to help to help bring some healing to you. Help there to be there. But let's not forget the focus there. She says in verse 16, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God, capital G, will be my God. She wants to make sure that, hey, as we think of Verse 15, we see the sister-in-law followed after her gods, which is lower case G. But here Ruth is saying, look, we're going to follow after the God. We're going to pursue God together. And nothing is going to separate that unless it's death. Verse 18 says this, when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped talking to her. You ever been in a relationship like that where, you know, you just talk to someone and you just want to get away and they just are persistent and they just stay there with you and 
you know, even may get annoying to the extent, but that's the type of friends that we need. We need the friendships and the people around us that are going to stick there no matter what. Even when we tell them to push away and they know that we need them, that they are there for us. You know, there are people, and, and I'm going to make this clear, we're talking about a good friendship here. We're talking about someone who is loyal, someone who is bringing them closer to God who wants to be there. Not the person who we tell them that, hey, I don't want to be your friend anymore because you're, you're not pursuing Christ, and, and right now I just you need to stay away from me. You know, when I even consider this, I could think of a relationship of a, of a boy and a girl. You know, you, you're in this relationship, and one of you know Christ is your Lord and personal Savior, and you know that, hey, you know what? This person who I am dating, they don't know God as their personal Savior, and I really shouldn't be in this relationship with them. And so I need to let them go. But yet that person is always there and always shows up and is texting you and sending you messages. And, you know, you're trying to separate from them. But yet they, they are so persistent. They continue on um, pursuing you and, and doing these things. And you just need to find ways to, to get rid of them. And I think that as we consider that, we're talking about a difference here with Ruth and Naomi because these are, this is a relationship that... They are, they are looking out for each other. They're there for them. And, you know, even as we think of that relationship with a boy and a girl, we've all probably been there where, you know, especially as a girl, um, parents don't approve of the guy that you're dating because they know the type of guy he is. And, you know, the, the sad thing is that in today's culture, girls will do anything sometimes. They want to do that because they want to impress the guy. But yet, let me tell you something. If you've got to do special things to impress a guy, then that's maybe not the guy for you. That's not the guy that you want to pursue. That's not the guy that you want to, you know, I have to do all these things to impress him. Maybe that's not the guy that God has for you. And I think that that's what happens. We, we compromise so much in a relationship because, you know, we think we're in love, but yet the reality is not love, but it's lust. We've allowed ourselves to lust after people, which is sin. And we think that that relationship is such a, you know, great thing. And, and we think that, oh, you know, we're going to last, we, you know, we're going we're, we're gonna to be forever. And yet that relationship doesn't last forever. And you've done things in that relationship that you regret because, you know, you thought that this would bring our relationship stronger if you did this thing or that thing. As we consider and we continue to talk about Ruth and Naomi, this is the friendship that is there. Verse 19 says this at Ruth chapter 1, that two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. When they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival. The local women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? And she said, Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. She answered, For the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went back full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has opposed me and the Almighty has afflicted me? Verse 22, So Naomi came back from the territory of Moab with her daughter-in-law Ruth, the Moabites, and they arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. You see, if it had been through what Naomi had been through, we probably would have been very angry and hopeless too. You know, when, when, I, when I talked about last week, I talked about how in my own life I went through a time of, of bitterness and, and anger because I felt that, you know, why is God allowing this to happen in my life? But I think that as we consider this, you know, God had placed someone special for Naomi and Ruth. Someone who was there for her no matter what. 
It could have been easy for Ruth to pick up and say, I have my whole life ahead of me and leave her. But she decided to stay. She decided to be there. And as I, you know, just think about this, as we continue in this series and we talk about through the fire, you know, when we go through fire, relationships can be molded. Um, relationships can be um, brought back together. And we, and we see, as we talked about the first session, we talked about how it makes it stronger. But there are relationships that need to go through fire so that healing can happen. You know, and, and I think uh, uh, people who, you know, who I know of have been in friendships and, and those friendships they, they've been in and they went through many problems. But you see, sometimes the friendship grows even stronger because of the fire that they went through. And I would challenge you, you know, as we consider and we talk about friendships, do you have a Ruth in your life? Do you have someone that's going to be there for you? That's going to point you to God no matter what when it's hard and, you know, you wish that person would just leave you because they're actually telling you, you know, what's right in your life. Or would you rather offer? Someone who basically the tough, you know, it's tough and they and you say, leave me and they leave you and, and yet you fall into deeper depression. You feel fall into deeper bitterness and you get upset at that person because, I, you know, I, I told you to go, but I really didn't mean it because I needed you the most at that time. You see, I think that in all of this, we have three different types of people. We have the, the Naomi who is going through the problem. And the Naomi could be us that we are going through a problem and, and we do need people. We need people to be there for us. And then we have the Ruth who, who we could say, you know what? I need a Ruth in my life. I need someone who's going to be there for me. I need a complete opposite of Opera. Because Opera is a person who basically when it gets tough, they're going to leave. They're not going to be there for me anymore. You know, they're going to leave me high and dry. So again, I would challenge you, wherever you are in this passage, if you are in Naomi going through that problem, surround yourself with someone like Ruth. And those offers, you just need to get rid of them because they're not your true friends. They're the people there for a season, and they're the people who aren't going to go through the tough times with you. But when things are going good, they're there for you. And that's why it's very important to surround yourself with someone like Ruth, who no matter what is going to be there. And as we consider, even more important as we consider this, there's a God who is there with us always. And we can always talk to him. And that's what they were pursuing. They were pursuing God above everything else. And that's what made this relationship even the greatest because they wanted what God wanted. And it didn't matter what other people said, but it mattered what God had for them. And now, today's personal God story. Good morning. My name is Jeremiah Sawyer, affectionately known as Jerry. And this is my God story. I was born on one of the family islands of Green Turtle Key, Abaco. My father was a seaman, which meant he was away from home most of the time. My mother was an homemaker, raising 11 children and seeing to the daily needs of our home. We were taught to memorize the scriptures from an early age and went to church every Sunday as well as during the week as we grew older. I attended Sunday school twice on Sundays, 9.30 a.m. and 3 p.m. at two different churches. The year I turned 13, the Assemblies of God had a week of special services in a tent 
on Green Turtle Key, and I attended these meetings. During one of them, I came under conviction of the Holy Spirit, realizing that I was a sinner and needed to accept Christ Jesus as my Lord and Savior, which I can say after a few nights, I gave in and made that decision. During the next 18 months, I was able to be influenced by a few older men in the community in my Christian walk, as well as a good friend who also accepted the Savior during these same meetings. In January 1960, I came to Nassau for the purpose of finding a job. I had made a decision that being a seaman like my father was not my calling. I lived with my sister and our family for a few years before sharing an apartment with one of my brothers and sisters. During this time, a very good friend and his wife used to pick me up each Sunday for Sunday school and church at Evangelistic Temple. My sister and her husband attended another church. During the year 1962, Pastor Earl Weech started a new ministry known as Calvary Bible Church, and I began attending these with my friend from the very first service. My faith and Christian walk continued under the leadership of Pastor Weech and the other leaders. Having an opportunity to sit in on special teaching classes, I soon after began helping with the ushers, led by Brother Frank Pinter, and doing substitute teaching in the Sunday school. There was training provided. Over the years, the Lord has led me to be involved in a number of ministries, such as a street meeting team in the early 60s and a boys' club known as Stockaders during the week from late 60s to the late 70s. I joined the Iwana program in 1979 and have served with them through 1992. I have also served in the Sunday school and various church boards during that time. In 1993, I was invited with some other man to prayerfully consider serving on the elder board and after prayer decided to join as an elder in training. I thank the Lord for all the men who I have served with and their wise, godly wisdom all these years. In 1970, our youth group went to a summer camp for one week in upstate New York, known as Word of Life, Scroon Lake. There during that week, I met a young lady who would become my wife in 1972. We have been married for 46 years and are blessed with two children, a boy and a girl, who both love and serve our Lord, and two grandsons and a son-in-law. It is my desire that as we continue to serve the Lord, my wife and I and my children, that each day we would grow in His love and His grace as we help to point others to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's time for answers to your questions. 
We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliot. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 give rise to the question, what is the relationship between a believer's salvation and good works? Throughout the Bible, it is clearly taught that salvation is always by God's grace, through personal faith, based on blood, ultimately the blood of Christ. Paul highlights this great redemptive truth in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Paul emphasizes in verse 8 that salvation is a grace gift, that is, it's free, which is appropriated through personal faith. Grace is the source of salvation, while faith is the channel through which it is effected. Yet even the faith to believe, insists Paul, is a gift of God. What is the relationship of this free gift to works? Paul makes it very clear in verse 9 that our salvation is not as a result of works. Nothing sinners could possibly do has the capacity to move them out of darkness into the light, out of death into life. Why did God provide salvation in this way? Verse 9 indicates that it prevents boasting. Since salvation is not earned or deserved, no one can boast that he or she has achieved it. Although we are saved completely by grace, works do show up in verse 10. While good works cannot save, verse 9, they do accompany salvation. James chapter 2 verse 17. According to Paul, believers are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Paul further explains that God has prepared for believers opportunities for good works in which to participate. Good works may be thought of as the fruit of genuine faith. When people become saved, they are also regenerated and begin the process of sanctification. This change in life produces a change in behavior that marks them. By God's grace, as a part of the redeemed community. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio.com at gmail.com that's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N16 84 Nassau Bahamas and remember 
everyone needs a savior. Savior.